Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Good. Well, it's nice to see you. I'd like to congratulate you on making the first most important choice of the day, choosing to wake up and come praise God. So it's uh, very easy to not want to get out of bed in the morning. Life's crazy. It's getting crazier. So we have to actively every day make a choice to say, yes, I will. Praise God. Yes, I will give my life to him. So if you want to stand up, we're going to sing a song that affirms that.
count on one thing the same God that never fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same this morning as we hear your words we praise you i pray for the youth as the seeds are planted and tended god just pray for blessings on all them and us as we hear your word god and for um the humility to grow today we praise you we love you we hear from you amen kids are dismissed well i have pulpit we'll travel so here we go and uh uh, it's kind of heavy, though, so I'll have to work out the gym a little bit if I travel too far at that one. Uh, but um, I'm glad you guys are here today. I this is why, this is why, right there, that is why my life is a struggle. Because I always open my mouth and insert my foot on a regular basis, and then I'm reminded of that on an even more regular basis. 
No, it's good to have a counterbalance. Keeps you humble, for sure. Oh, no. Oh, see, it's so worth it. I just made my day. That was good. Yeah, so you all is forgiven. All right, well, you know, I was doing some math this morning, and I, I you know, I've heard the statistic that there uh, are at least 1.2 billion people on this planet that, that, that claim Jesus as their Savior, and that's a conservative amount of people that demographers have estimated, and I don't know how many people are on the planet today, let's say five, six, seven million people, but even if half of that 1.2 billion people that is, if I do the math correctly, that is 600 million people are gathering for worship today. What would it be like just to stand back from the planet and hear the praises being declared, hearing the name of the Lord lifted up, hearing his uh, uh, chorus of, of believers and followers and members of his family and just people that are trusting him with their lives declaring praises it has to be an awesome day for the Lord. And as the Lord hears that, I know that he's gratified to hear our praise and the praise of so many countless churches all around the planet. And that means something. It means that whatever it is that God has in mind, it's just a microcosm of what is yet to come. And as we gather for worship, we are helping to facilitate the process of that thing yet to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So one thing that we're doing is we're trying to bring the reality of heaven into each of our hearts so that we can be the people that we're called to be. So with that said, just a couple of quick reminders. Make sure that you guys have your worship notes. And for whatever reason, we tried the QR code uh, and it wasn't linking properly this morning. So if you run into problems with that, uh, it, it may just be we got some kind of technical glitch. That said, if you have a prayer concern or a need, uh, please uh, see me in the, in the studio right next door right after worship. And I've been very happy to have people come in almost every Sunday and say, I have this prayer concern, I have this burden, I have this thing on my heart. And we've been able to just help you with that. And we want to continue that regardless of whether the technology is working as it should or not. And um, so please keep that in mind. And then just take a quick look at uh, the things we have going on uh, down through the list. Prayer walk today and, uh, um, and then the camp out coming up uh, in uh, just a couple of weeks. And then just some other things that um, help us organizationally and just as a group of people gathering for different reasons to be the church. Um, so with that said, uh, just want to just take uh, this moment and uh, sanctify it in the Lord. But before I do, any, any praises or concerns that you have on your heart that we can lift up? You guys are just tired, aren't you? You've been outside all weekend. And okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right.
Oh, wow, to the Brightside Project, $10,000 donation. Well, praise the Lord for that, uh, because those guys are doing great work for the community. They are a blessing, and I think that's God just validating uh, their, their step of faith that they've done. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, well, that's a good note to start on. Well, let's go ahead and uh, just circle around the Lord's throne uh, as we, um, as we uh, approach him in prayer. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for all good things, and we know that in all things you are working together for good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, Father, when we look at things that are, that are difficult, that are challenging, that in so many ways are overwhelming, we know that you don't waste an opportunity, but rather in our adversity, in the struggles, and the things that we're going through, when we bring you close, Lord, we know that you are at work and you are redeeming things and people and situations and families. And we are grateful for that. And as we look at our pain sometimes, it is just a way of saying, look to you and trust you in it. And knowing that as we do, you will lead us through it. So, Father, we just invite you to be in our lives, in our struggles, our challenges, and the things that keep us up at night. And we ask, Lord, that you help us to have your peace that passes all understanding, to trust that you are sovereign over all, and to celebrate the things that you place in front of us, like uh, what has been given to the Bright Side Project, or just the fact that many of us have been able to be with family or enjoy the outdoors. Or just the list just goes on and on, Lord, and we'd be remiss not to bless your name for the blessings that you put right there in front of us. And Father, as uh, we celebrate those things in the life that we have in you, we ask that you would just be at work in us as you do your good work in making us more and more like your son, um, week in and week out, and helping us, Father, to minister to other people. We pray that you bless the prayer walk that's coming up today that you help it to be a way to connect with people, to be able to allow people to know that you are a source that is beyond everything the world has to offer. And I pray that the prayers that are being offered today would be a, a source of change in lives that maybe are living in darkness, looking for answers that ultimately point to you, we pray for your blessing upon Rachel and the team as they go out, that they would know the, the power of your spirit at work in their hearts and their minds. So just direct them and prompt them to pray however it is that the circumstances require. And even in ourselves, Lord, as we have sometimes groanings that words can't articulate, we thank you that you hear them anyway. And when we have things on our heart that are struggles, whether we're going through uh, chemotherapy or whether we're going through some kind of healing process or grieving the loss of a loved one. We know, Holy Spirit, you're there to comfort and to help along. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that we have in you that we've just simply touched on today. And help us to attune to you as um, we lift up the name of Jesus in our hearts and our minds and collectively together. And help us to follow you, Lord, as we imagine ourselves in the place of the disciples when they ask a simple question, Lord, 
teach us to pray. And so would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if I were to ask you guys a question as um, we're celebrating all these things, we know that in the backdrop, there is always a sense of foreboding or fear or uncertainty given the times that we're living in. And if you're just imagine, if I had a response to what the world needs right now, what do you think the answer to that question is? What does the world need right now? The Lord, no question about it. It'd be nice to see that metric of 1.2 billion be <laughs> all the billions. What else does the world need? Revival. Revival. You guys are on fire over here, by the way. You're like the amen corner. <laughs> what else do you think the world needs? Peace and goodwill. So now we're looking at a little bit more day-to-day -day ground level, the fact that we have to get along with other people. And we hope that as we do, we can do it in a spirit of harmony and with the intent of goodwill, that is desiring the best for the other person rather than the worst. Anything else that you can imagine that the world needs? Unconditional love. Compassion. Grace, hope. Now, you guys are kind of on a roll now, but we'll stop there because I think we all get it, right? Now, is the world providing those things? And if they are, why would the world need them to begin with? Who's going to provide those things? Who does Jesus say, I've tasked you with the role of providing those very things. Us. Yeah. It's a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? Because it evidently isn't coming from any other source right now. And as you and I leave this place, God has heavy on his heart the prospect that there are no answers out there anymore. Except for the ones that I'm bringing into the hearts and minds of my people so that the world can at least have one source that says, everything you lack, my people have been tasked to give to you. And I don't know if you think about your faith that way, because a lot of us think about our faith as, what can I get out of it? Because we're trained to be consumers in our culture, no question. But we don't necessarily think about, what can I give? And what do I have in this experience and my experience with the Lord that other people don't? Now, if that resonates with you, then maybe as we turn to our text today, we're going to see what was on Jesus' heart as he's thinking about those very questions about what the world needs now. And he's looking at the followers that he's 
brought on board, and he knows that none of them are perfect. They've got issues, and they got to work through them. And in the end, they're going to fall away, but they will come to their senses, and they'll come back because they know that what the world needs can be found in no other source but him. And so you and I are in this process of, yeah, I get it, but then we kind of lose our sense of perspective, and then we're like, we come to our senses again, and then we kind of get pulled away from it. But at the end of the day, we realize there is only one answer. There is only one way. There is only one possible prospect for this thing to become what it needs to become. And that's the Lord and his church. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to take a quick look at uh, Luke chapter 17. And I want to just explore verses 1 through 10 with you guys. Because Jesus has been for several chapters in the book of Luke, probably going all the way back to 13. He's been in sort of an extended conversation with the Pharisees and the disciples over here and over here the crowds who are following him. And they're all asking questions about his role in their lives. And Jesus is doing his level best to get through to them, telling stories that are upsetting, challenging people, showing compassion, showing grace, showing surprise that a God who, whose son said, drop dead and take all, give me, all, give me half my, give me my inheritance so I can just be gone. A God that says, hey, you know what, I want you back and I'm going to claim you back. There's just been some pretty wild stuff happening in this conversation. And as Jesus is wrapping up this conversation, he's looking at the disciples and he's saying, now that we've sort of gone through this discussion, I want you to be aware of a few things. I want to kind of summarize where we've been. And so let's look at what he says in the first few verses here. In Luke chapter 17, verse 1, it says, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So he's looking at the responsibility that they have been given to live out the things that they have learned, but also to be aware that now the clock is ticking and people are looking at you and they're saying, hey, we're going to do what you do. And when you when you first have a child, and many of you have been through this process, you quickly discover how much kids like to mimic what you're doing. My kid saw me plug something into an outlet, and he decided he would take a fork, and he would plug that into the outlet. And I tried to warn him before he did it, and yet, for whatever reason, God said, well, he's not going to die but it's definitely going to hopefully help him to realize he can't do that. Well, and I was content with that until two other times I tried to plug something in. And right after that, he tried to plug in other metal objects. Then we had to have a discussion about science and metal and stuff like that. And I don't think he was ready for that. And you think about all the ways that little kids just look at you and they just soak up what you do like a sponge. 
And Jesus knows that when he's gone and people are no longer attending to him and all the things that he's done that's so revolutionary, they're going to be looking at the people that spent three years with him, and they're going to just be taking notes. And Jesus wants above all things for them to be able to do this right. Um, Because in some cases, there are people who ask the question at a time in their life that we can never predict, what about this Jesus? Did you know that Mahatma Gandhi, whenever he lived, he was was a South African. They brought a lot of people over from India to to work in different parts, you know, in the the lower classes. And he was riding on 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 a train, and he was asking the question, what about Jesus? And there was a guy that he was aware of who claimed to be a Christian who saw him sitting in the wrong place on the train and said, hey, Capper, you don't belong here. You need to go sit there. And he said after he got off the train, I knew he was a Christian, and my thought was if Christians are like that, I don't want any part of it. Now, when I say Gandhi, you know who I'm talking about, Mahatma Gandhi. The guy that went back to India became a Hindu and did a passive-aggressive revolution against the British Empire, not in the name of Jesus, but in the name of some other God that made sense to him. And you can't help but wonder, given his drive and maybe his calling to be a change agent, and how that's co-opted because a believer at some point said, Something that was, I think, derogatory, dehumanizing, offensive. And the whole trajectory of his life changed. Jesus is anticipating that this could very well happen with his followers. And he doesn't want to see that happen. He doesn't want to see that happen with those guys or you and I, because there are people that do pay attention. And when they're asking questions, we got to be on our game. So he just throws out a pretty stern warning, and he says, um, temptations are going to come, and you guys are going to be not an exception, but rather probably the tempter is going to focus on you more than anybody else. So think about that for a minute. He's not really that interested in wasting his time and energy on somebody that he's already got. But what better way to do damage for the cause of Christ? than to take a believer and pull him aside and redirect them. And then we're doing all his dirty work. And Jesus sees that. He sees just how much misguided decisions and behaviors and things that signal the wrong thing can serve his own end. And so Jesus says, hey, they're going to come. But be careful. When they do, it's not just about you and your sin. It's actually... What you're doing is going to project to everybody else around you, hey, if you follow Jesus, this is okay. And this is kind of a difficult saying to wade into with you guys because it has, you know, we all are tempted. We all have things that we struggle with. And we all sometimes, there's a part of us sometimes that says, I don't want to deal with that. But God's telling us, We can deal with it now or we can deal with it later, but either way, if we're going to be in his kingdom, we're going to have to deal with all the things that aren't right in our lives. 
And so he says, let's just get started. But as he's looking at these followers and he's looking at the crowds and he's thinking about the guy that was feeding hogs with his birthright basically eliminated, living in a place amongst the Gentiles as a Jew that is the worst possible. He's thinking about that guy coming back. And we don't know how the story played out with the prodigal son, but we know that there was an older brother who said, don't like you, don't want you, get out of here. And yet he was already part of the family. And so it's very easy for us to be pretty harsh on people that have had setbacks and made poor decisions. And Jesus is saying, watch out, they're just not very mature, but the hope is one day they will be. And as he's talking about each of these people that we've referenced in the parables, he says kind of these little ones. And then in Matthew, we see something that's very similar where Jesus takes a little child in Matthew 18, and he says, um, you know, the kingdom of God belongs to people like this, people that are asking questions, that are curious, that trust, that are in some ways naive, yet because they are in a good place in their heart towards asking those questions and trusting God, they're really a model of who we need to be. But woe to the person that misdirects them in a way that damages that trust, damages that ability to say, hey, I want to follow God. And so Matthew kind of takes it in a little bit different direction. But for you and I, it all applies. And at the end of the day, what he's trying to summarize is this. If you had a maturity-ometer, you know, they have gauges and things for different things, but wouldn't it be something if we walked through the door and then we were given a piece of paper because the door is actually a maturity-ometer, and it says this, on a scale of 1 to 10 in your maturity, you rate, let's, let's say, 5.7, which means that we've got work to do. And as we go through that door and we see that, we realize something. Everybody in the room has a number. And people that have been involved with the Christian faith for a long time should be able to walk through that door, and each time they do it, to some small degree, that number is changing, that you're working on that. How many people in this room, because I'm, I'm curious about this, and you're going to be surprised at the answer. How many people in this room have ever drag raced? No, I mean legally. One, two, well, okay. How many of you have ever drag raced? How about that? Let's just forget the legality. Okay, there we go. Okay. So, Diane Rude came to mind, of course, you know, naturally. When you think of drag racing, you think of Diane Rude, right? But it, correct me if I'm wrong, Diane, but when your husband was putting you behind the wheel of that car, he said, you need to make it go faster. Got to bump that time up. So she's working on her game, he's working on the engine, they're working on their marriage, and all these things are converging in a way where hopefully you're getting better. And as God's looking at us, he's saying it's, it is kind of like that, only you're not really drag racing, but you are looking at each day and saying, how can I, God, how are you working in my life to help me to be more like your son? 
And there are some of us who've been doing this a long time. We are more and more responsible with that maturity, if you want to call it that. The expectations are very high that other people who don't have that capacity for knowing what it means to walk in the ways of the Lord are looking to you and they're saying, how do I do it? The Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. He said that, I believe, three times in different books, making the point that the only way we really see who Jesus is is how he's embodied in people that have been following him for a while. And with that awareness in mind, Jesus is saying, temptations are going to come, and this is the one place that the devil says, if I can leverage that, I don't need to do any more. Because Jesus' followers will do all the work for me. You can hear like a malicious, malignant laugh. And that is the one thing that I hope never happens with, with any of us, is that we become, it, we become inadvertent agents of, of evil. Well, we know that we all live in a broken and fallen world, and there are forces at work, and we do sometimes, you know, we trip up, and God's grace and God's forgiveness are there to catch us. And Jesus is looking at the effect with gravity, he's saying, better to have a millstone wrapped around your neck than to do that. And he's just making the point that this is very, very, very bad. Now, unfolding this a little bit farther, when you put these verses together, we find that there is a challenge not just in the personal realm, but it's the social consequence of our faith because it does have a social consequence. And we have to become aware of the fact that there is a spiritual awareness of how God's working in my heart, and there's a spiritual awareness of how God is working in us together. And that's a big question that I have in my role, is how is God working in different people's lives? And some of you guys, I'm asking the question, how is God calling you to greater responsibility of influence? And Jesus sees that in the disciples, and he says, this is exactly what I'm asking you to do, is to make more of these. And in that process, what happens is he's encouraging them to ask the question, how I project my life to people trying to figure out Christianity? Because you may be the only person that they reference. And there are people not just outside of here, but here who are saying, how do I live as a follower of Jesus? And if they are asking that question, they are looking at people that have been doing it for a while. Namely, us. And so we're responsible. So Jesus says further, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. So this is the social side of it. And if he repents, Forgive him, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So Jesus is not only thinking about how your heart and my heart connects to the Lord through struggles, temptations, trials, and how we are obedient, but he's also asking the question, other people are going to want to become a part of a community called the church. And how well, when they're offended, do they forgive? 
How well do they reconcile when they're at odds? How often do they love versus hate? And all of those things perhaps haven't been emphasized enough in the, in the church, but are just as critical. Because who we are collectively is also a witness. And there's nothing worse than somebody to say, oh, that group of people, yeah, they're not any different than anybody else. Or that group of people, they love the Lord. And I would love for people to say, first Christian church, those guys, what should the answer be? You tell me. First Christian church, those guys, what? Following the Lord? What else? What are, what's some other good things? Compassionate. Accepting of all. Any others? Loving and giving. Okay, we could go on. But I'm kind of placing this burden on you guys as we're wrapping up this section of the conversation that Jesus is having. Because he's hoping that when the disciples are, are looked upon by outsiders who are asking questions, those disciples, they are, and the answer could be, pretty bad at following that guy named Jesus. Hypocrites. Black luster. Or those followers of Jesus, those disciples, those guys are different. They've got something good going on. And I don't know what it is, but I'm curious. I'm interested. Now, what if Jesus said that about, or what if people in the community said that about us? And perhaps as Jesus is telling this, we're saying, Rachel offended me six times today. And six is pretty much my limit. Not going any farther than that. Sorry, Rachel. It's over. My, and you know, you know. But what if she said, forgive me, and it was seven times or ten? Would you really be willing to forgive somebody who, in a day, got sideways? I mean, it's a ridiculous statement. But the point is, how is it that you posture yourself towards people, and I'm not saying Rachel does this, that keep messing up? When you have a child and that child keeps messing up, do you just say, oh, you know what, kiddo? We had a son named George, Mandy and I did, and we left him in Africa because, you know, he, six times one day, he just acted up and we just said, hey, you know what, we're going back to the States, you're staying here, this tribe of people said they'll take you, best of luck. Now, that was a story we used to tell our kids when we were little because we wanted to traumatize them. And then we'd laugh about it, of course, you know, so, but yeah, they aren't counseling all of them right now and have been for years. Um, but we kind of joke about it that there was a guy named George, that's your fourth sibling, and um, he's back there, we're over here, you keep doing what you're doing, you may join him, and 
trust me, we weren't that sadistic, just a little, but not much. And they'll laugh about it. You can ask them about it. Ask them about the brother George you see in any of those three guys. Or Bob. Yeah, it's Bob. That's right. I forgot. It's been so long, I forgot his name. <laughs> but how many people have been connected to the body of Christ? And we lost them. And you're like, what about so-and-so? What was her name again? Yeah. See, Jesus really isn't changing anything about his perspective on this group of people. When they think about the family, he wants them to think about, yeah, you're, you're the family now. You are a brother. You are a sister. You're a part of it now. And I want this to work. And I want you guys to be together because you're actually going to be together forever. And I want you to learn how to do it. But the world hasn't given you a very good instruction manual. As a matter of fact, what it's given you is telling you the opposite. You should just hate those people. You should beat up on them. You should flame them. You should find an online platform and just dedicate it to hating them. But God says, no, I want you to be one, even as I and the Father are one. That's a pretty tall order because we bring a lot of humanity into this place. And we got our own pain, we got our own fear, we have our own hurt. And Jesus said, I've dealt with all that. I've given you a source for all of that. Now I want you to love. The world needs it. And as he's unfolding this even further, he's taking these verses and he's saying that, I want you to be patient with people that offend you. They get sideways with you. They cross your boundaries. Don't get triggered. Ask God to help you have the right heart. And even as we're putting these verses together, we have to ask the question, how willing am I to forgive and reconcile with those people that get sideways? And there may be some of us saying, well, I'll forgive you, but I will never forget and I remember this first church I was in, there was a lady there, and she carried that burden with her. She says, I offended somebody in this church a long time ago, and I still replay that in my head. And she told me three times if she didn't tell me once. And that lady kept saying, I forgive you as a Christian, but I will never forget. And she says, I tried and tried to make it right, to reconcile. And she just took that thing and she just held it over my head. It was kind of almost like a magic power that she had now. And Jesus says, you didn't learn that from me. And I think he's telling these guys, hey, you know what? If you live together in a community of faith, you got to learn to work things out. Forgiveness, Taking responsibility for your own maturity, being aware of the immaturity of other people, and not getting triggered in any of it, but in all of it, bringing it to the Lord. So anyway, Jesus goes on to say, the apostles said to the Lord, or they, they said rather, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a, the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And essentially what Jesus is saying to their 
their, their question because let's just, do you know of a church that doesn't have people in it that are alienated from each other, that are distanced from each other, that are factioned from each other? Do you know of any church where everybody gets along in a harmonious way? You know of any? And I kind of think the disciples are anticipating, yes, we don't have enough faith to be that. We know human nature well enough that we're not really good at getting along. Matter of fact, I just got tired of having people around. I just got a dog. And I just go home, and the dog gives me a little bit of pushback. But overall, I don't have to worry about them creating drama. And some people just said, I'm just going to have a dog and forget people. And the disciples knew hey, we don't have enough faith to do what you are asking us to do. Help us. And he said, if you just have a little bit of trust in the way you look at this problem, as you look at me first, don't be surprised that I'm going to help you through that 10 times out of 10. And I think God can. There's nothing like being in a covenant together in marriage or in a church with each other and with God, and if we struggle with each other, we have to ask God, help me to see what I need to see and be the person I need to be for them. And you know what? God says, busy, I can't help you, won't help you. No, I think God will say, I've just been waiting. I've just been waiting for you to ask me. Help me with this person that I struggle with. Work in their heart as much as you're working in my heart. And you'd be surprised. You will be surprised about what a little bit of faith like that can do. And that's what he's telling them. And as they're unfolding this whole set of teachings here, I got to think that some of them are shaking their heads saying, we can't do that, that's not realistic. And others are saying, we are so hopeful that there will come a day when we'll be a part of a community where people do experience joy together, they work through problems together, they reconcile when they're offended with one another, they are forever people, and I want to be a part of that kind of a community. And so there are others who say, I'm willing to give it a try if the other people in that community are willing to give it a try. And so Jesus says, um, basically... How clearly can you see God at work in all of this? Because he is. And for an immature person, I think he's basically saying that they don't always see God working. They're not fully aware that God's doing what, he's, what he said he would do. And as he's doing it, they're, they're just not seeing it. And he's trusting that they have the faith and the eyes to see what God is orchestrating. Have you noticed, since you've come back to church, God orchestrating things in our church? I know I have. And what I think is making it come alive is we've come, some people said, I'm not coming back to church. I'm not interested. But those of you who have, I have to trust you're saying, hey, I want to work together on rebuilding a community here. 
And God's saying, yes. And then he just starts doing stuff and showing up and working through stuff and, and having even Rob Coffee come up and talk. I mean, miracles are happening. And it's because people are saying, we trust you, Lord. Here I am. And, and, I, and I just love that. So let's, let's show the next verse up there. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in, the, in from the field, come at once and reconcile, recline at the table? Hey, worker, hey, farm worker, you're all sweaty from being outside all day working. Come on in and sit at the table. Will you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you'll eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, if you're new to the faith and you're reading that, you're like, that's such a strange, strange way of saying things. But keep in mind, they lived in a period of time when you didn't have tractors, you didn't have electricity, you didn't have all of that. You had servants. I'm not saying that was right. But there was, in the minds of people that had resources, no other way to get things done in a household except to have servants. And a healthy household took care of their servants. And there were people who said, I'm happy to do this. And the morale was good and the thinking was good. And Jesus is kind of alluding to that world that we no longer live in. And essentially what he's saying is, okay, we're going to do the work of the Lord. And we, had a, we did something, and we had a great day. And there may be some of us who are saying, hey, and I was a big part of that, boys, look at me. And what he's trying to do is keep the ego out of it and just say that when I call you to do something, the reward, God will reward you for sure. And there's no question, we need encouraging words. But to only do it because attaboys are waiting for you at the end, he says, be careful about that. Because you're looking for some kind of validation in your person that I've already given you. Now, again, we need to celebrate things. Don't get me wrong. But the thing I've noticed about the people that are, that, that are, are not real dramatic in the church, but do a lot is they just say, I'm here to do the Lord's work. He's given me this task. I put my head on, down and I do it find joy in it sometimes. Sometimes I find frustration. But God says, you need to do this. And he's done so much for me that I'm just grateful to be able to do it. If you've been raised in a church family where you grew up under the blessing of having godly parents who instructed you in a good way and were healthy and didn't abuse you and treated you well, you know what you lack is the experiential process of living in a place where those things aren't there. And I want to underscore that for a second. Because there are people who come to the Lord in pain and brokenness and lack we say, I've tried everything else on the planet except for you, Lord Jesus. And I'm hoping against hope that you'll help me with what I need. 
And lo and behold, they find that. And when they find it, after all that searching and all that pain and all that brokenness and all that longing, they're just grateful. They're just grateful for their Savior. They're grateful that God stepped in. They're grateful that they have a second chance. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's where they're coming from. But I also know, I know myself well enough to know that if you come from a place where you're blessed in a lot of ways, you tend to take things for granted. You tend to also feel a little bit entitled. Kind of like that's the way it's always been. Hey, I expect it. And if you're in that category, Jesus has just spent a couple of chapters trying to shake you up a little bit. To say, I know you've had it good. I know you've been blessed. And that has been God's goal from the beginning. He doesn't want you to grow up in a household with all that brokenness. He doesn't want you to have to face that dysfunctionality, to make adult decisions as a kid, to be sexually abused or physically abused or, or abused in some other emotional way. He doesn't want you to have that. And because you've been spared that, he wants you to wake up to the reality that there's a lot more that needs to happen, and there are broken people out there, and I've blessed you in this environment so that you can be who they need to be, for that they need you to be for my purpose. And I don't know where you come from, but I know sometimes contentment is our worst enemy. There should, if you're content, let me just say this. If you're content in this world right now, we need to just go outside for a minute. Because it's breaking down. It's not, you know, 1950 Americana. It's a broken, broken world. Confusion is rampant. Chaos is right behind it. It's not a moment where we have to worry too much about the temptation of contentment because there's a lot of discontentment out there. But there is one kind of contentment that I want to end with today. It is the contentment of the Lord that no matter what the circumstances are, the Apostle Paul says, I can get beat up or I can be blessed. I'm content in him. He is enough. And then you can look at anything God gives you, and you can say, whatever it is, Lord, you are enough. And this won't rob my joy because you are my joy. This won't rob my peace because you are my peace. This won't even rob my life, even if I die because you are my life. And that's a message that the world needs to hear. So the bottom line of the message today is simply this. We need to look at life from the eyes of Jesus for a second. And if he's looking at you like he's looking at me, he's saying, I got my work cut out. But he's not going to send us back to Africa to be with Bob. He's going to hang in there with us. And he knows our whole life here on earth, we've been trained to think in a way that is not God's way. 
and he knows that the only answer is to show him the way, begin living according to kingdom rules, and as he leads you and I along that way, we start to see it. We start to see him. The light bulbs start to come on, and we start to realize our place in this world has to be nothing less than part of a body of believers who put on display the life of Jesus day in and day out where there is very little discrepancy between what people see in us and what people see in him. And if we could be that church, wow. What the world needs, I think, the world would find it. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, you know every heart in this room. You know our struggles with temptations, our struggles with offense and history with people and the need for reconciliation and forgiveness. You know our struggles, Lord, when we look at the challenges of the kingdom and we wonder, can I do this? And when I do this, will people validate me? And yet, we know that you've already given us everything that we need. And I pray, Father, for every person in this room, that if, they, if there's a person in this room that does not know you, that you would be active in that, in that individual's heart, whoever you are, to draw you in. And I pray that we as a congregation would be a community that would be safe, for them to find you. That you continue to work on us as we work through things that we've learned over the years and unlearn them and relearn what it means to follow you. So Lord, that's my prayer for us today. But by all means, Lord, if there's anyone that needs to be rescued, I pray that you would find us faithful in helping that to happen through your son, Jesus. In his name I pray. If you would, take your communion cups and dutifully peel off the plastic retaining foil. If your fingernails aren't long enough, throw away your tweezers and um, condition yourself. By no means do I want to trivialize what we're doing. But I want to underscore how ground level it is. This is a sacred moment that we are having with ourselves and the Lord around his table. And there's something special about meeting him through these, a loaf, a loaf and a cup, that reminds us of what he paid for us to be with him and him to be present with us. We can never forget that. But in the process, he created, for lack of a better way of saying it, a means by which we can reconcile with God. But because the cross is both vertical and, and horizontal, it also means reconcile with each other. And God sees 
just as much significance in us asking him for forgiveness and cleansing for our sins through the blood of Christ as the Lord sees us reconciling with each other, working through things, being patient with the process, forgiving, and then hopefully on the other side, edifying. It's a covenant that says that's the agreement. And I've saved you for that. And so let's pray, thank him, and then um, we'll take this together. Lord Jesus, again, it's good to be in this house with so many worshipers who elevate your name in their hearts and their lives throughout the course of the week. And it's also to be here coming from various places around the community in one spot as your family. And Lord, in our time together with you, we pray that if there's anything that's been in the way, we could reconcile with you through asking forgiveness through repentance, turning away and turning towards you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for covering us with your holy blood and sparing us, healing us and cleansing us. And then, Lord Jesus, as you put people in our hearts today that are in this room that maybe we've gotten sideways with. I pray that you would work a process of reconciliation. Not only so that you would find joy in that, but that the people who see us would see a oneness of heart and mind for you. Lord, I just ask that you help us to be covenantally faithful, both vertically and horizontally as we remember your son who enables it all and we take the bread together and we're reminded of his body that's broken and we drink the covenantal wine together as we trust that his blood covers all of our sins. Thank you, Lord. Amen. When you're ready, go ahead. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a
Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. week uh, closer to you closer to each other pray for your church god that we can be who you designed us to be i pray for everybody as we go from here that we show your love to everybody we can and just uh, let us come back next week we love you we praise you and thank you so much for this time amen you're all dismissed